Hi, uh, my name is Trevor. I'm a, a GP, uh, an educationalist in Bristol, and I just wanted to ask the panel to, to reflect on a, a tension that I experience in medicine, and that's between uh, telling the truth and conveying hope. Because mm. um, I think that there's a, a strong ethic in medicine of telling the truth and being honest. But when patients come back from the hospital, particularly when they've seen, say, oncologists, uh, sometimes they feel like they've just had a bit too much truth mm. and they're feeling a bit downhearted and a bit sort of besieged by, by medical truth. Um, but on the other hand, I think that uh, hope itself uh, can be quite hard to dispense if you're drawing simply on your medical education. And I think the closer you get to almost hopelessness and, and death, um, the doctor seems to need to draw on something for which they haven't really been very well trained. And I think some doctors have got into a big heap of trouble recently for drawing on their religious conviction in conversation with patients. And I, I just wondered, you know, where, where, you know, if you had any reflections on that particular mm. tension, truth and hope. Mm. I, I, my, my view of that is hope in what? Um, you can make it up. But if you, actually, if you have a hope in something, I mean, if someone comes to you and says, I'm afraid of dying, <laughs> you know, give me some good news, tell me something that's going to make me feel better, you could, of course, make it up and, and tell them something. If, if you believe it, I would say that that's ethically okay for me. If you don't and you make it up, that's a different issue. But I think it's about, I mean, hope, we didn't talk about positive thinking, but I mean, you're not, are we talking about positive thinking or are we talking about hope in something transcendental, something we can't see, something beyond us? Because um, they're different things, really, because I think one can pump you up and take you so far and the other is, diff is different. Um, so I, I, I think I, my inclination, someone could tell you the truth very, very awkwardly <laughs> and some people could tell you the truth in a very nice cuddly, furry way, but isn't the truth what you really should be hearing in, ev in every case? I, I wouldn't entirely agree with that. I think that there is a place for the consoling fiction if, if the situation is one of absolute horror. There's, there's, there's a, a bit at the end of the, the best Holocaust novel written, uh, The Last of the Just, in which um, uh, Ernie Levy is in a boxcar on the way to Auschwitz, uh, Auschwitz with... with, with, with um, a lot of children, half of them dead. Um, and he starts telling them a little story that they're on the way to Jerusalem, they will meet their parents there, and then the children pick up the story, and we will be fed there, and there will be no Germans there. And, and, and the thing goes round, and Golda shakes him, and she says, you know, that's not true. And he says, there is no room for truth here. And, and I put that to Richard Dawkins in a discussion I had with him, and I said, what would you have done? And he said the same. And I think that there are situations in which the, the future is so utterly horrifying and without any hope at all that you have to create the grace of, of a fiction within the situation. I think it's very difficult dealing in, in ordinary, everyday situations where, where, where people are just dying as we all do die, particularly the death of the young and they tend to, to, to lend themselves to a lot of pious fictions. I think we all need, again, to talk about the fact that we are dying animals. Um, I've got a number of friends dying at the moment who are very honest about it, 
Um, they're, they're sorry. There's a wonderful bit at the end of The Line of Beauty, um, that wonderful novel in which the guy is pretty certain he's going to be HIV positive and he knows all the things he's going to miss, all his love affairs, the novels his friends are going to write. You need to let that regret come out. You need people to mourn the loss of the future. Um, and then they will buck up and be strong and be stoical because ultimately we're all going to have to face the fact of our own oblivion. If you're very religious, you might think that you'll meet your granny um, and Auntie Jessie on the other side and they'll take you up to Audrey Hepburn under a tree and you'll be through. But, <laughs> But most of us don't think that. Um, and and I, I th I, so I do think that we all together need to develop a new, a new therapy of saying yes to death that's not dishonest, but is not, but nor is it brutal. And I think a lot of doctors are too embarrassed by the death talk. And how can we blame them? They don't necessarily do it well. But it's got to be okay, too, to say, I don't know. <laughs> so, which, you know, it's interesting going for the fiction. I sort of understand that and the extreme example you give. But, you know, death, our attitudes to death, um, again, back to AIDS, but, you know, seeing, being in a village where people were being buried every week, you couldn't really maintain a fiction about, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to join granny in the, in the waiting room of life or whatever, you know, euphemism you wanted to use. It, but you could say, I don't know. You know, you could say, I, so it, what happens? I don't know. Why can't we say, I don't know? Because we, it, it, we're back to this either-or thing, which is we have to give an answer of some kind. Um, and it's not that I don't know. I mean, if a doctor says, I don't know. I mean, I was ill uh, in my 20s, and I, I, they didn't know what was wrong with me for a while. And um, the, I don't, the I don't know was probably the honest answer, but it was... I wanted someone to just give me a diagnosis. Yes. You know, I wanted someone to make it up. Yes. Um, I don't know if that would have helped me. Um, and, you know, I did get better. But it, I think being afraid, it's, it, it's quite hard to say I don't know to yes. things. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, it's, the, hard, the, it's hard for doctors and it's hard for priests. But priests uh, don't say they don't. I mean, a lot of priests do know. Um, they, yeah. they, they do believe in the resurrection. And I, I'm, not, I'm not mocking that. I yes. mean, and it can be enormously comforting. Um, it's one of the things you lose when you lose um, supernatural faith in the afterlife. You do lose something. Um, Nietzsche was right about the death of God has made us orphaned us now. We're on our own. Um, but I think it's, it's better. I, I, I sometimes, I still operate as a priest, and I, if I think someone needs that kind of talk, I will give that kind of talk to them because it's their truth, not mine. I prayed over a dying friend um, a couple of years ago, and he was a half-believer and a half-unbeliever, but he wanted the last rites said over him. So I, I gave him the poetry of the comfort of those last rites, not sure myself whether there was anything in them other than that they comforted him in his last breath. And it was a beautiful dying. Um, uh, and I mean, he, he, you know, he, he, in a, he said, he kind of hinted that it wasn't as bad as a lot of people felt it was gonna be to be dying. Um, and I, I gave him the consolation that he wanted at that moment. I've got another friend who's dying, a psychiatrist, who, who knows quite confidently that he's going into oblivion, um, and he's, but he's fine with that. He's yeah. had a good life, um, and I'll, I'll keep visiting him, simply to talk about the old days and to discuss metaphor and poetry. But he knows that, that, that when it comes for him, and it'll be quite soon, that'll be it.
but he's, he's a stoic. Much as I'd like to continue with that particular Audrey Hepburn fantasy, I think we should, there's another question, we'll come back to it, um, just here. Patrick Graham, I work um, in developing Living Well, which is a strengths-based approach. Um, I'm intrigued that you two seem quite able to use the word love with no embarrassment, and I notice that in medical circles that's kind of taboo, and it's almost dangerous, I feel, when I say it. And yet we think of Freud, who did use the word love, but he's never remembered for that. He said he was giving love is what he was doing as a psychiatrist. And I'm, I'm worried that we do tend to forget the need for love as the truth that we give to people. Particularly, I'm concerned in the field of dementia, where there has been a tendency for families and professionals not to understand that the world of someone who is losing their memory is not treated with kindness if you keep telling them the truth. Mm. Uncle John died last week. You don't keep telling her that her husband died last week because it's not good for her reality. So I'm, I'm very keen to see some of what you said, Richard, which I thought was brilliant, about how you look at their truth and work with their truth. And if doctors can do that as well, working with the truth that they discover by listening to the person, not a patient, yeah. the person in front of them, then we start to get this interaction where embarrassment goes out of the window and we really do help that person. And th th there is a sense in which um, there's a kind of arrogance in, in people who always tell the truth. Um, uh, and you get it in absolute rationalists as well. Um, uh, and I... I don't know, I, I think that, I don't quite know what a lot of that is about. If you've read Julian Barnes' lovely book, Nothing to be Frightened of, um, which is about his fear of death, um, and, and which he says he, believe, he, he doesn't believe in God, but he misses him, and his very empirical philosophical brother says that's absolute nonsense to him, you know, you, you, you know, grow up and be muscular, there's nothing out there. Um, uh, there is a sense in which, um, we're not sympathizing with the complexities of the differences in human beings. Uh, and I, I, I think that absolute rationalists, tough-minded empiricists, who, who, who are good with the fact that the universe is meaningless, ultimately, um, uh, I, I, you know, I want to say, well, good for you, I'm not. Um, and I, 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 want, I want the occasional possibility of a fairy story, thank you, so bugger off. <laughs> I think I'm going to close the session on those uh, <laughs> two words, actually. And uh, a big, very big thank you and round of applause to William. Really